Friends, let us pray again. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. What does it really mean to know the Lord's Prayer? Friends, I think I have spent more time with the Lord's Prayer than any other expression of the Christian faith. When I was just seven or eight, I remember that we had a card with the Lord's Prayer printed on it that we had tucked in among the vitamins and the salt shaker on the lazy Susan at the center of our dining room table. And I'm not sure where that card came from or why it was there, just that it appeared one day like some sort of silent call to prayer. And so I took it on myself to learn that prayer. And every morning for a week or two, I would sit with my cereal spoon in one hand, prayer card in the other, silently letting the words run through my head. Our Father, who art in heaven. I would read and then I'd flip the card over so I couldn't see it. Our Father, who art in heaven. And I went line by line over and over again throughout that whole prayer until I had every word memorized and I could sit in church and recite the prayer as confidently as if I had known it from birth. Hallowed. Be thy name, the prayer continues, and some of the words were a bit beyond me, their meaning a bit beyond the deep comprehension of any eight-year-old, but I managed to hold them in my memory just the same. I knew the prayer, or I had it memorized, at least. Step forward a decade or so, and the Lord's Prayer was the scripture that was given to me out of the Gospel of Matthew for the first sermon I would ever preach before a congregation on a Sunday morning. I was an intern at my home church for that summer as a part of a program for experiencing ministry firsthand, and that included preaching at least once. Now, at that point in my life, I had done little devotionals here and there, let a Bible study or two, spoken at the little mini worship service at the retirement community down the road, but I'd never done a sermon in a church building, and I had no idea what I was doing. And so, without anything else to do, I just spent the week reading everything I could get my hands on that said anything about the Lord's Prayer. And without knowing what I was looking for to create a sermon, I just took note of everything that seemed interesting to me, figuring that if it was interesting to me, it would be interesting to somebody else. And at the end of the week, I took all of these notes of all of these interesting things, and I shuffled them around into some sort of semi-cohesive arrangement, typed it all up, called it a sermon. And I still remember the one-liners I borrowed from somewhere, the one about the little boy who was sure the prayer was about our Father who does art in heaven, and the other about the little girl who prayed, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from email. I often pray the same myself when I see my email inbox. And the sermon went well, as every first sermon with a supportive congregation is probably bound to go. And so for a few minutes that Sunday morning, we all spent some time thinking about some of the interesting things there were to think about, about the words Jesus had to say. And so I stumbled into at least a few worthwhile points to share. They were welcomed by the congregation with some interest, and there was a sermon. And I left thinking I knew the prayer, or at least... I had a few tidbits of information to share about it. Another decade or so further in my life and reciting the Lord's Prayer became a weekly practice here in worship with all of you. I learned how to cue that invitation as we moved from extemporaneous pastoral prayer to the familiar words we would recite together. And I would say, and now we pray using the words that Jesus taught us to say. And then you leave a slight pause so everyone knows what's coming. And then you start, our Father 
and immediately get joined by all the voices of every timber and every tone, some who had been saying these exact words for 60 years or more from before the moment in which I was born. And my work in these moments was just to start the prayer and then let myself be carried away by the steady current of words shared by a whole congregation at once. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We would pray together on earth as it is in heaven. And that rhythm carried us all along until one day it was just my voice on its own echoing in this empty sanctuary as it was still shared in prayer through cameras and screens, but sound that only went in one direction and didn't come back towards me. And so it was a gift to share and worship in unusual times, but it did mean that when I suddenly forgot the words to the Lord's Prayer one of those mornings, you guys were not there to save me. And so give us this day our daily bread. I prayed and then thought, what in the world comes next? And I scrambled to look at the screen and read the next line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Whew. And at first, it was just that one minor stumble that one week, but then it happened a second time, and the third time, and I got so turned around in this whole string of weeks, I couldn't seem to remember whether it was bread and then temptation, then trespasses, or some other way around. The needle had just jumped out of that familiar groove I had worn in my memory, and I couldn't seem to get it back in place. And I tried every week to cover it up as though I just was pausing longer here or there, but Jennifer noticed, because of course Jennifer noticed, and she suggested after worship one week that maybe I should put a printed copy of the prayer up here somewhere for reference, and I told her I didn't need that because I knew the prayer. And I held back on mentioning that I've known the prayer since I was seven or eight, and I learned it at the kitchen table that my first sermon was on the Lord's Prayer, and that I'd spent more time with the Lord's Prayer than any other expression of the Christian faith. I just said, I know the Lord's Prayer, and I am certain that Jennifer gave me a look back that could only be interpreted in one way, which is that she took my statement and turned it right back around to me as a question. Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Because you keep messing it up. It has been said that if you can only read a few chapters of the Bible, you could do no better than to sit with the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And if you haven't got the, chap the time to read the whole of those three chapters, then you could read just these few verses of the prayer at the center. Pray like this, Jesus says. All the rest of this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches, all the rest of the story of Jesus' whole life in this gospel and every gospel might just be commentary on this short prayer. The Lord's Prayer, the early church theologian Tertullian said, is truly the summary of the whole gospel. Though to call the words here in Matthew's gospel the Lord's Prayer might be overstating it just a bit. The prayer we recite in worship didn't sound exactly like the one we just heard, because the prayer we recite in worship is a sort of amalgamation between the prayer found here in the Gospel of Matthew and the one that Jesus offers in the Gospel of Luke, and then also a doxology that's found in the non-canonical but nonetheless early ancient Christian document called the Didache. All three sources just merge together into one, which means that it irons out some of the differences that can be found between Matthew and Luke, including that Jesus talks about debts in one and trespasses in the other. They have an undoubted scriptural foundation. It isn't wrong to think of what Matthew writes here as the Lord's Prayer, 
But it is perhaps important to remember that our understanding of the prayer is so highly shaped by the liturgical formation of it that we might forget that Jesus wasn't standing on the mountainside and gifting us this prayer in the king's own English. See, the gift of liturgy is that it helps sink scriptural truths deep into our bones. It presses the words and the rhythm into the soft matter of our memory as a sort of melody that we might catch ourselves humming unexpectedly at any point throughout the day. But the gift of familiarity carries the challenge of familiarity, domesticating the extraordinary and allowing us the audacity to believe that we could know the fullness of the prayer just because we know the words and have said them a thousand times over. When you pray, Jesus teaches, don't pour out a flood of empty words. He's talking about weighing prayers down with so many words, he says, that they're meant to pull God down from the heavens and into the molds that we have decided to allow the divine to exist in. But it's about more than just wordy prayers. Your father knows what you need before you ask, he says, and so there's not much reason to pray if the whole point is just to change God's already compassionate heart. But that doesn't mean that prayers aren't about changing hearts. It's just that the hearts being changed might be our own. Even this prayer that Jesus gives us can become a rush of empty words dutifully formed by our tongues and our teeth and given life in our mouth but never allowed to touch our hearts. But we would do well to see this prayer with the weight it has, not to pray it lightly but to let it sink in deep where we might discover it takes guts to say this prayer at all. Our Father, it begins, and the word there is Abba, from the Aramaic. And in a time when Hebrew was the standard for Jewish liturgy and Jewish prayers, particularly when the Jewish people were ruled by an empire where their language was one of the few distinguishing measures left to them, when Aramaic was spoken in the streets but Hebrew was kept in the temple, this is a radical decision on Jesus' part. And it has been suggested that this welcome of another language into the language of prayer not only opened the door for the New Testament to be written in Greek, but it also allowed all holy scriptures to be translated into anyone's native language. And that from this one word, it could be understood that God isn't confined to any single tongue, that there was no sacred language and no sacred culture, that all people and all of their glorious and diverse expressions on earth could offer windows to God incarnate God made no single flesh, but all flesh in every race and every place. And if there is no single language, then learning the words is no ending place, but the starting place, because the words are windows, and every new perspective from every new person is a new opportunity to catch a different glimpse of the almighty God we are all seeking. And if every person can offer an insight to the divine, we have lost our way if we ever think we have learned all there is to know about God when there are still new people to meet. Our Father, it begins and expands the whole of the prayer to capture all of creation and all of the people God loves, and then it continues, uphold the holiness of your name, bring in your kingdom, your will be done. This is not a prayer to toss off the tongue like a request to please pass the butter. God, we are saying here, be God. 
Not what we want, but what you want. Set free your hidden holiness. Push out this reality and make room for the coming kingdom. And let us never think that this isn't a radical move, a radical prayer, because the coming of another kingdom is one that would topple some folks and lift others, is a coming that would throw out so much of what we know and usher in more than we could ever imagine, a complete upheaval of the entire world we have ever known. And so if we let this prayer become rote, then the tragedy is that we can forget the distance that stretches between what is and what should be. Because there are seasons when the terrors of this world are front and center before us, when mass shootings linger in the memory and one more black man is killed in the custody of the police. And so there are times when the world shows its face and we cannot seem to ignore it, at least not until the news fades and we are allowed the chance to move on. And often we do. But if we pray this prayer again, we should be taken back. We should be taken back and given an insight to the distance between what is and what should be. We should be taken back to this world, a world where some have no recourse to their mistreatment than to call out for their mother. And we should know that this prayer is a call out to a father. Come, help, thy will be done. And if we ever thought it would let us off of the hook, it continues. Forgive us as we forgive one another. Give us all the food we need for today and today alone. Help us resist temptation. This is a call for divine assistance, but we are not relieved by the prayer. We are convicted. There is work to be done in forgiveness. There is work to be done in feeding one another and caring for their needs. There is work to be done to resist the temptation and the evils of this world, which call us to leave all as it should be when we should be consumed by the prayer, thy will be done. Because this is no easy prayer, no light prayer, not something that can be tossed off the tongue, something that can be remembered for the words alone, but it is something that perhaps we should forget each week, so we have to learn it again every time, that we have to hold the words close to our hearts, that it can change who we are and how we live. It becomes more than just words to say, but a life to live, an expression of our hope and our prayers, of a invitation and a call for God to come and work here and work through us so that in the end we would not be satisfied with what we have, but we would give up everything else, all of what we have and what we could have because there is nothing so good as having God and God alone. It is perhaps a prayer we should forget so that we have the chance to learn it again and again and again. So we would never think that we have known it. We would never dare domesticate it to the point that we forget that it is a radical call and it is a transformative invitation. It is a prayer that should scare us to our bones because we are asking for something that God alone can do and might just do in and through us. It is a prayer with weight. It is a terrifying, hopeful, awe-inspiring prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, I recited that prayer by memory. Perhaps that undoes the whole sermon that went before it. I'll work on forgetting it this week, and I hope you'll join me in doing the same. Thanks be to God. Amen.